And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for, again, my favorite part of the show of the week, the interview. And uh, got a special guest with us. Have not had him on before. Been looking forward to have him having him on. And I j- it's been a long time uh, since I had a real, I mean, there's always a reason to have our guest on. He's very knowledgeable. But there's a lot going on in his world these days. And I got a feeling... <laughs> That's not gonna. That's not gonna change anytime soon. So, without further uh, delay, here, Mr. Trevor Hall, uh, and first time to the show, Trevor. Thank you so much for being with us, and uh, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. I'm uh, really excited to be here, and yeah, I mean, let's talk some mining and yeah, exploration this, stocks. It will see for <laughs> me now. Okay, so before we get rolling, let's let's give them a primer of of your background, where you're coming from. But I don't know if mm-hmm. you know this about me. This is my background as well. I uh, as a I, I I learned that actually. So you did the interview with Dimitri a couple weeks ago. Yes. And there's here's a little story for you. Like I like you and I have followed each other on Twitter for a while, and so I kind of had an idea of what you were doing, but I had never actually had the deep dive into you yeah. and Bulwark until I listened to your conversation with Dimitri. And actually I was in, uh, I was in London uh, for, for some conferences and I had one day that was completely the one day that was open. And I like been on the road for two weeks and needed to do laundry so bad. <laughs> and so I found, I found this, like this, this little laundromat in King's cross. And like the guy would like do a small load for like, you know, 15 sterling. I was like, perfect. I'm going to like put all this stuff in a plastic bag and carry it around King's cross to this laundry, to this laundromat for this, to drop off for this guy to do my laundry. And that's why I turned on the hidden forces podcast with you and Dimitri. And let's just say I, I took full advantage. It was like a two hour walk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it was awesome. So. Yeah. Cause we, yeah, we went for a while. I think that one went for about, two. he and I always do that. And the problem, the, <laughs> the problem we have, he and I have is that we talk so much offline that a lot of times the interview just spins into kind of that, you know, friend conversation. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So anyway, yeah. so give us a little bit of your background because uh, uh, this is, <clears throat> I I know what you do, and I know how long that sector has been going nowhere, right? Uh, right. So, but this is, I, I think that we are fast approaching, if not at your time to shine. So walk us what, what you do sure. and, 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 and yeah, and your company and how you guys do things. Yeah, uh, and I, I think you're right. I think this coming year is going to be a huge rebound in uh, mining and junior exploration equities. So I, it's kind of a little bit of background. So I'm actually a journalist uh, by academic trade and uh, some professional practice. I worked in television for uh, a few years out uh, when I finished uh, my degrees. And then I uh, found mining through, uh, I, I, I took a job at a, a university that has a mining uh, a mining track, and that's how I found it. And I was like, during that time, I was like, why am I so intrigued with mining? Like, I never cared about that industry at all. Never thought about. It. In fact, probably you could be you could probably tell say that I probably had a negative idea about mining at that time. And then I. St- learned about it. And I was like, why, like, why am I so interested in this? I mean, you get to like blow stuff up with dynamite and then drive huge haul trucks and load it up, load it up with rock and in, in, outcomes in, in usually incredible places too. Right. Yeah. Just like incredible places and all over the world. And I was, okay. So how does this journalism and content and storytelling background kind of fit this industry and, you know, since I was involved in this very prestigious academic setting, I ended up taking an intro to mine engineering class and just kind of dove into it academically. And it had been 10 years since I'd had to do any sort of math. And so, like, I really struggled, but it was very eye-opening for me. And then I was, uh, you know, had exposure to all these, like, really great, smart people in that uh, setting to pose questions and ideas to. And so basically what I started doing 
was uh, I started doing social media content work for uh, a company. In fact, the first company I had my very first contract with was a company called Cooper Canyon and the Comacau Copper Project in Botswana. And the reason that might pique people's interest is because a month ago, less than a month ago, that same project just got bought by a Chinese firm for almost $2 billion. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's all you know it, that was coming. Now, that was my very first contract. Gig. I, I would like to reiterate for some of those people out there, the people that invested in that project a while back, they actually made a profit. You can make a profit. But it was private. It was yeah. private though. That oh, was yeah, it was yeah. private. Okay, yeah, yeah. It was a private company. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I mean, you can make money and listen. Money. You can make money. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Um, and so. And so I was doing kind of this social media thing and you know, social media, everybody was doing social media and it was just, it was really hard. And then, you know, this is right when podcasting started to get really popular. And I was like, listen, like I've worked in radio, I've worked in journalism, I have this industry. It's, it's not necessarily, there's not a whole lot of this content out there. I'm like, I'm going to start doing a news briefing every morning. And so in July of 2018, uh, I think it was 2018. I've been doing it about six years ago, five and a half, six years ago. We put out our first morning news briefing. And so I woke up at 5 a.m. I will see this news coming out of the mining and exploration sector. I, you know, scripted it out, recorded a news briefing, put it out there about an hour before the market opened. And it was so awful. Zach, it was so bad. Like it was just. <laughs> terrible like I, sometimes i go back and listen to it just to like to remind yourself where you came from i, I won't and, i won't do it i won't go back and listen to my original <laughs> oh it was so bad but i have been doing that 5 a.m wake up call monday through thursday every trading day with canadian markets open for six years now and so that's what we do let me let me ask you a quick question outside of mining um on the podcasting side, do you think a part of your consistency has to do with the way I, I've said this before that there's a cathartic part to doing the show. There's a processing part to doing the interviews and the shows. It helps you in some ways. It's sort of like organizing my whole week of investing in experiences and helps me process them. Has one of the reasons you've stayed so consistent is because there's a similar dynamic to it. Does it kind of help gear you up for that day and get your, get your mind right? Well, it's a routine, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's like, uh, it's turned into my atomic habit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I just, I listen, some days are really hard to wake up at 5.00 AM, Yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, but you do it because if you don't do it, it feels weird when you yep. don't do it. Yeah. Um, and I think part of it is like, I just have genuine interest. Like I, these, like, listen, the, the exploration sector, like we die, we typically, work in the smaller exploration equities, right? And so this sector is just saturated with incredible story after incredible story of exploration, uh, you know, gold, finding a gold mine or absolutely falling on your ass Yep, and finding absolutely nothing. And there's their zero. It is a testament to ingenuity uh, and a testament to hope and science and also a testament to where everything can go wrong yeah and luck yeah like anything out right yeah the luck is a big part of it right luck is a big part of it but when you find something and if, if you make a discovery which turns into a deposit which just keeps on giving and like you it doesn't seem like any drill bit can fail you're on to something really special yeah. Yeah, no, it's so. it's an intoxicating thing, and I and I know. Look, the, the uh, if you would have told me five years ago the price of gold would be north of two thousand and GDX would still be under thirty two, I'd have laughed in your face. <laughs> saying, there, there's no way, right? Yeah. And and I think as tech has gotten more and more and more, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, notoriety and everybody's on board and everything. I think that mining has gotten. Less and less a trade. Oh, it's a horrible business. You're poor. And and there is that aspect to it. But, you know, like Buffett always talks about, there's no such thing as bad assets. There's just bad prices. And one of the reasons I want to have you on is in a market so devoid of value, at least in my opinion, I flip over and look at these mines or a lot of these projects. And we've just 
really started actively building our precious metals portfolio because I was just waiting for a breakout. And mm. uh, uh, going back into it and going and looking at these names again and, and doing some research on them that I hadn't looked in a while, it is amazing to me because if you look at their valuations, you look at their stocks, where they're trading at, it looks as if nothing has changed. And yet here we are, metals really threatening, you know, uh, cyclical breakout of huge proportion, right? Um, so anyway, but I, 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 before we get into that, just tell you a little bit about my experience. So in your state of Colorado is where I've spent the majority of my time around mining operations. Are you familiar with the, mm-hmm. the old ULA mine? Up there in um, Ure, Ure. Yep, up there. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. The old silver mine that's bankrupt everybody for 120 years. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. I've been there. I've been inside it. I've been, I've been in those like really small stopes where like it's so dark and claustrophobic. Like, and I'm not a small person, and I was yeah. like super tight in there. So, so that 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 is that we never operated it, but that mine is still owned by the company that my father runs. The U- oh really? Yeah, and they own right across right across town. They own the Golden Wonder Mine. Um, mm. Really small producer. I think its biggest year it ever did was forty five, fifty thousand ounces, but extraordinarily rich. Very high grade, thin vein. So I I think in that was it that hundred hundred and twenty five thousand ounces they pulled out. It averaged sixteen point one ounces per ton. Yeah. So you're not talking about the revenue Virginia spine. No, no, I'm talking. Okay. About, okay. All it's, right. it's just, it's right. It's, it's just right outside of Lake city, Colorado, which is, you know, yep, the, yep. the okay. mouth of the mine, I think is 9,500 feet elevation or something like that. And then just on the other side of Lake city, Colorado is the UULA mine. Yeah. 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 So, okay. Got it. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so I've spent a lot of time there and, and then grandfather uh, got into it because he, he, Back in the late 70s, early 80s, he bumped into Bob Friedland. And uh, he started funding some of Friedland's early operations and, you know, just kind of went. And Anyway, so what, getting into this, first of all, what is the state of the, of the industry, generally speaking? Because, like I said, as this tech cycle has gone on, it feels to me like the toxicity around the word mining has just gotten worse, right? Meaning mm-hmm. everybody and their mother is convinced it's horrible and you should never buy a miner's mining stock. And, and there's good reasons for that. Um, they're obviously, I, I kind of feel like what they've gone through is similar to the energy market in the sense that there was probably a lot of wasted money and, and, and bad decisions and too many, you know, but it looks to me from the outside looking in that a lot of these speaking Barrick being a perfect example have really embraced a completely different outlook have become more capital, you know, conscious and things like that. But that that's my view from the outside. Why don't you tell me what you see going on in the industry? I think everybody's aware of the breakouts and potential big breakouts in the metals themselves. But what is the state of the industry and where do you see what what is the level of opportunity you're seeing right now? Okay. So listen, the mining industry is expansive and vast and covers a lot of ground. So you've got to really I think you've got to kind of silo which part or which type of metals you're really focusing on because I could talk about precious metals and have a different conversation, different response to you than I would if we were talking base metals or even new battery technology metals. So you've really kind of got to silo those into different groups. And so I don't know if there's one way one of the directions you'd like to go to, but I mean, let's talk about where, what we'd seen in the last 12 to 18 months. Yeah, PMs, PMs. Let's stick with yeah, Okay. Stuff. You want to stick with precious metals? Yeah. Uh, absolutely in the dumps. Uh, absolutely in the dumps. So there, I have never seen um, this, this disconnect between the price of the metal and the valuations of the equities throughout the life cycle of, of a mine. Now you, you say, well, what does the life cycle of a mine term mean? It's like, well, we have our major gold producers. So those would be the Newmonts, the Barracks, um, you, you know, uh, maybe the, the IM golds, anything that's indiced in the GDX, you could classify as a major gold producer. You bring that down. We have mid tier producers that maybe are maybe mining up to a million ounces a year. You can still classify that as a mid-tier producer, maybe looking to expand and grow their 
production portfolio for precious metals. Below that, you would have more of the developer type status that has a resource in the ground, are looking to do economic studies of what uh, what is the valuation of a project that would be? What does a production capacity look like? How much capital upfront, how much capex would be needed to build such mine? And can that project be financed in however way in equity debt or just debt or maybe just equity if you're absolutely nuts? Below developers, we have the the true... Uh, explorers, the groups of geologists that are tromping around the bush when the weather is, allows them to do that, taking rock samples, mapping on the ground, maybe doing some geophysics, some geosampling, uh, geochemical work, defining drill targets, putting a drill on the ground, and trying to make discoveries. If that a discovery is made, following up on those drill results to see, okay, how big is this, uh, this mineralization? Is it a full-fledged deposit? If we drill this deposit out enough, what does an economics look like on that project? And so that's kind of from the top on down what the life cycle of a mine, that's how every mine eventually comes into into production Mm -hmm. from discovery, from somebody on the ground, licking rocks, hitting rocks, sampling rocks, drilling underneath the surface to make a discovery and then building that discovery out into something which would eventually be economic and bringing in financiers to build that mine. Now, the risks, as you know, Zach, are incredibly high. One in every maybe thousand discoveries actually becomes a mine. And so you are playing the riskiest of the risky equities in my mind in the entire investment landscape. And so you've got to be nimble, you've got to be smart, you've got to be educated. Uh, and sometimes you have to be a little lucky. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> the luck part of it, I, as you're talking, and it, for those of you that don't know much about this, and have never really looked at it, um, I think a great book to read, and I'm sure you've probably read it, The Big Score. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, The Big Score, but talking about Robert Friedland's discovery of Voices Bay. And just everybody, just go out, just go read it. If you want to know why he's so absorbed in mining and why it's so intriguing to me as well, I feel like that book does such a good job of explaining exactly what you were just talking about, right? How right. You're, you, there's just no, it, it is guys got to be out there in the bush looking at rust, weird rust formations coming down the side of rock, right? Like it's, it, it, it's like a, it's like business mixed with like, an old detective novel or something, right? You got to really get in there, right, get right. your hands dirty, get in there and, 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 uh, and do your thing anyway. So keep, keep going there, but uh, yeah, the big score. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, we could, we could take that. I mean, you know, so why, if, if things are so risky, if this, why would you ever give a penny of your capital to an exploration team? Like, and I, I firmly believe you, do not invest in these companies unless you are okay that investment going to zero. 100%. Because it will happen. I mean, if you play this sector long enough, trust me, I've had a couple zero. Yeah. Lucky yeah. enough, like I do okay. Like I'm still putting food in front of my kids and we got a roof over their head. So that's fine. But, 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 to, but to answer your question, the reason you do it is convexity, right? Like it's, right, it's right. so funny to me that if we're running a private, uh, a private equity venture fund, Everybody's fine with a 94 to 95% failure rate. You flip over to mine, they're like, oh, it's a horrible business. 95% of them fail. And I'm like, that's that's private equity's business model, right? Right, <laughs> right. And and, and, right. and I think the dynamics are fairly similar, meaning, yes, you're going to have a really high failure rate. But when you get in an early round in an exploration company and it does turn into a successful deposit, you know, Katie, bar the door, there's going to be some registers wrong. Right. Well, and so with that risk, there can be, sometimes be massive reward. You mentioned Voices Bay. I mean, let's let's follow, let's talk about that story real quick. Diamond Goldfields. That's what the company, that was the, uh, uh, the that is where Voices Bay discovery was originally found. Robert Friedman was convinced to fund a couple of geologists to track around Labrador in Canada because they had a thesis that there was some mineralization there. Well, it turns out, 
not only was there mineralization there, it was the biggest uh, nickel base metal deposit found in many, many decades. Diamond Goldfield stock went, I mean, I I remember seeing the the price chart and I actually have a presentation. I, I don't have it in front of me knowing exactly where it was when the discovery was made to where it was eventually sold to, but it went from like a dollar 50 to over a hundred dollars a share mm-hmm. and, but fast, like, like I'm not talking, I'm not talking like 10, 12 year tech cycles. I'm talking 10, 12 months. Right. 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 And so you're talking life changing wealth in 12 months happening that in 12 months. Yeah. And that's not, and it's not just, you know, it's not just singling out what Voices Bay was. I mean, we had another example two years ago with a big gold discovery at the uh, Dixie Project under Great Bear Resources. You know, Great Bear was a project that many companies had drilled and explored for for many years in its past. And then Chris Taylor and his team had a different had a different vision for Dixie, drilled it a little bit differently, made a proper discovery on on the project drill deeper found kept on finding high grade after high grade they were partnering with us on the podcast and it was just one of those things where you know chris and his team couldn't miss okay let's walk through that story real quick because i am unfamiliar so you're telling me that this project there was mineralization there it had previously been drilled by other folks and they hadn't hit anything what hadn't hit anything no no they had hit they had stuff but it just wasn't like anything Not of interest to them. Yeah, got it, got it. Yeah, either the grades were weak, or it was too disparate and spread out, or it wasn't. It, it, there was there was, and this is I, you know, was, it, was this nickel as well? No, this was gold. Gold. Okay. So, so this is the 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 Dixie Gold deposit got it. Uh, in Ontario. So Chris grabs this project, and him and his team, uh, they they have a different approach to tackling the same project. Listen, the rocks aren't moving. Right. Right, the rock, the rock is not moving. Right, so it's going to be there now. If they attack it in a different direction or using different methodology, that's what they did. Right, they were able to hit it. And then they kept hitting. They expanded into another fault zone called the LP fault. Kept hitting high grade. I mean, it was almost like every two weeks, Great Bear was publishing new drill results with just astonishing, astonishing grade. That the market seemed like it, it got to a point where that's what they expected. And so they actually wouldn't move. The market wouldn't move much. And what and then in late I think it sold in early 2022. If I if my timing if if I if I'm right with my timing, it sold early last year. But what happened is the market expected, and then all of a sudden the gold market started kind of come down off those 2021 highs the valuation on Great Bear started coming down with it. And they were kind of pushed to a point where they kept on drilling. They were doing 90,000 meters of drilling. And they kept on saying, including Chris was telling me in the podcast, like we're going to put an initial resource on this thing. And so everybody was awaiting for the initial resource. Leading up to that resource report, a couple of things happened. Barrett Gold came in and started doing JVs with projects surrounding the Dixie project. And so all of a sudden you had major gold gold producer, like, you know, getting a lot of interest in this area, thinking that they were going to maybe make a move for Great Bear. So all of a sudden investors started coming in, buying Great Bear stock, and you start seeing the valuation on GBR going, trickling up. And then it gets faster and then it goes faster and then it goes faster before out of the blue um, Ken Ross finally announced that they are going to purchase great bear for, I don't remember what the final number was. I think it was about, I think it was $2 billion. I'd have to go back and look at the, look at it. So what does this all mean? What was so this was out of curiosity? What was the market cap of Great Bear leading into that purchase? Like, what kind of premium so, to the? So, so I, listen. I I want to break this down for people to like think about it personal personally because I know people who had bought Great Bear stock at twenty five cents, and in three or four years they sold it for twenty eight dollars. 
that's that's Bitcoin ask, man. Life changing wealth. Yep. Yep. So I mean, and those are the stories that you know, I, and those are the stories that I love. Now, those are that's just two stories in thousands and thousands, right? So that's you, you can't just bet like. Oh, I'm going to go buy this junior equity. They're going to drill and make a discovery. And then in three years, I'm going to be a, buying my Lambo. Like that's not going to happen. The odds are against you always. Yep. yep. But it's those stories of success, not only in on the ground through exploration, but through the equity markets that really is a win for capitalism, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, it's, it, and these are, these are, like I said, this is, this is the fascinating part of the business to me. And I really think, you know, I, I kept thinking to myself, is this Wall Street bets thing? And you look at all this insanity. When this, I am fascinated to see what a real bull looks like in the precious metal space in this mm-hmm. environment, right? Because it's a different trading environment. When these crypto people, when these Wall Street bets guys start seeing the moves on some of these junior gold mining equities when this bear really gets rolling. or you Well, know, you, any- started, you saw it in silver. You yeah. saw it in silver yep. a couple of years ago. Yep. Yep. That was a gl- that was just a glimmer. I mean, Zach, that was one of the best days of trading I've ever had in my entire life. Was that stupid silver squeeze? When you know Wall Street bet starts, it's like we're going to push silver. It's like sure, I'll I'll buy those calls. Then you know I'm buying calls on uh, SLV. I'm buying calls on First Majestic. Like anything I could get my hands on in 24 hours, I'm buying it. I see this thing spike up thirty dollars spot price. Uh, per ounce of silver i'm like this is the dumbest thing i've ever seen sold the sold the calls went directly into puts 24 hours later like i mean it was incredible yeah yeah. but like it's it was so much hype like there was nothing foundational about it it was just hype yeah well okay so now moving to the foundational thing one of the things that you and i both know again from our our experience in the industry when i see the indexes and the stocks performing like they are and i look at the metal and I look at how this has been a long bear market for for PMs and for PM equities. M- maybe one of the longest on record. I haven't looked into it, but I mean, you know, you in this space, you expect those five to seven year cold periods. We've all been through right. them. This has been a five to seven year cold period that's lasted almost 13 years. You know, right? I mean, it's been, right. it's felt like a nuclear winter since 2011. Um, <clears throat> I, there have to be. There have to be unbelievable opportunities out there because that sector has been just incredible. starved of equity. Let's start talking about that and explain to us the opportunities you're seeing out there in terms of valuations. Give me an idea how cheap yeah, yeah. some of these equities are. Okay, first let's talk about the foundations where we're at because we you understanding the macro and I think this is where you and I can definitely have some banter back and forth because I think Wednesday, December thirteenth was a day that will live in financial, you know, infamy, Zach, because we have, we have a pivot. We know that the federal reserve is looking at interest rate cuts in the coming year. There's discrepancy between what the fed is dot plot thing is saying and what the market expectations are, but we have a pretty good certainty that rate cuts are coming, which is like fuel for fire for, for precious metals. Yep. We so those are the foundations for you. We have a dollar, a, a fiat dollar system that is running on its last leg, seem feels like. And we have a an economy that is can only keep going by fueling with more debt. Now the debt buyers, the, the debt buyers of 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 US debt buyers that once would always come to the table, those buyers are getting smaller and smaller each month. Central banks are not buying around the world. China is not buying. In fact, they're selling. So who is going to be buying? You will come to a you will come to a situation, I firmly believe this, well the first and only buyer of US treasuries will be the US central bank, the Federal Reserve. How much would they buy? How much how much would they buy? If they're willing to print three trillion dollars in eighteen months over COVID to keep people, you know, happy and 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 you know sovereign themselves, how much would they print and buy to keep the US government sovereign? As much as it takes. 
What do you think? They're going to get their Mario Draghi on. Well, I don't know if you've heard us whatever talk about this. Yeah, whatever it takes. I, I look at Chase Taylor, my head of research. You probably know him, Pinecone Macro, right? Um, yeah, yeah, I know Chase. Yeah, so he and I were having this discussion the other day, and, and we've had it many times, but our belief is that within the next 10 years, you're going to see the Fed balance sheet in excess of $30 trillion. I, I, I just... I, yeah, I, I, I think that's conservative, man. It, 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 I, when you look at the math, I, it, we are being conservative, and it just yeah. I don't think people understand. It, this isn't hyperbolic. When you're running $2.2 trillion deficits or whatever it is now, 2.1, 2.2, whatever, who, everybody talks about China. China owns less than a trillion dollars of debt. So think about that. Who buys that? There aren't enough mutual funds out there in the world. There aren't enough 60, 40, 40. Who's going to soak up $2 trillion a year? And you and I right. both know it's not going to stay at $2 trillion, right? That's right. for now, right? What, let's look at what that deficit looks like in a proper recession. Right. When mm-hmm. you're, you're at two point one trillion with t- record tax receipts, you're going to see three trillion dollar deficits at some point in the next two to three years, may, may, <clears throat> maybe more. So I mean, what, if you if we hit a recession in 2024 and they are forced to try to stimulate this thing, I mean, it's that three trillion or whatever they printed in 2020 is going to look like chump change. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And And here's the deal the funny thing that I don't think people understand is this situation is going to play out. Like we're talking about regardless of a recession or no recession, we're, we're just sitting there and I don't want to speak for you, but I, I think we're on the same page here trying to illustrate to people that you don't need something like that to happen for this to spiral out of control. It's had, it, it's going that way. It's inevitable, right? Yeah, it the, is. the Fed it is. will be the only, the, the only serious purchaser of treasuries at some point in the not too distant future. Right. We're talking cycles. You know, yep. fi- you, we're talking financial cycles for a reason, because that's typically what happens. Is we are late, late, late into this cycle. If you yeah. become a student of history <laughs> and financial history, you will quickly come to understand like we are incredibly late into this cycle. And unfortunately, there will be a time where everything breaks and it will suck and it will be hard, but it is exactly what we will need to get back on track. So. I, yeah, no, I, yeah, and, and I'm with you 100% there. And I think that, I think for a lot of different reasons, um, the, it, and it sounds weird to say this, but I think for a lot of different reasons, that type of recession, that type of cleansing needs to happen. I think on a cultural level, mm-hmm. I think on an economic yes. level, but pivoting, pivoting back, and this is, <laughs> Sorry, these are the yeah, kind of, well, no, but, but, but this is, but we're painting the picture, right? These are the right. kind of setups that get me so, so juiced up because when you have markets don't ever work the way that you'd think they would, or you think that they should, meaning they, they don't ever present the opportunity when they should, it always usually comes later, right? Meaning mm-hmm. um, when the big opportunities come, it's, you're, you're looking at gold go above 2000 and you're looking at gold stocks, not be able to get traction just like today, right? Where, where, when you're probably and if, and I could be wrong, but my belief is that you're probably about to see gold and silver at some point in the, in the not too distant future, be some of the best performing assets out there. Meanwhile, you can't give away the equity you and I yeah, have well, before that's the start of every great precious metal bull run in, in history. There's a reason why nobody's buying the miners is because of the risk profile. Listen, look at the the S&P 500. Who was getting any sort of buying in the last six months? Seven equities. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So everybody else, everybody else was in the, was in the gutter, just like the miners are. I mean, if you're not buying NVIDIA, if you're not buying Apple or whatever, the Magnificent Seven, there's no way you were buying miners. No. No, I mean, so so you it could these valuations were subdued for a reason because they were being lumped in with everything else that wasn't the mag seven right that wasn't showing some sort of return on their capital. This is going to change. It will be a point where when you start seeing that you know that gold breakout ticker on CNBC where new all time high in gold like we made that all time high two weeks ago. Like I was in Europe, so I wasn't watching. I wasn't watching CNBC, nor would I, even if I was home. Yeah. But nobody was. Nobody was like putting up the ticker that gold has a new all time high. No one cared, right? No, nobody yeah. cared. Yeah. So what will what will it take 
to to for this to like resonate with investors? Is it, is it going to take a solid move above twenty one hundred in gold, thirty dollars in silver? You know, once that happens, it's like, oh, I, well, know, let me take a dive dive into the gold miners, and you'll notice that their margins have incredibly improved over the last year. They got their margins got cut. The cost to produce one ounce of gold went really high. Uh, you know, with the inflationary reasons that we had been had been dealing with the last couple of years, a lot of really smart analyst reports are seeing those margins improving in the coming year. With you know, uh, relatively safety, good call, twenty three hundred dollars gold by the end of twenty twenty four. Oil price seventy five dollars a barrel, which is usually the biggest line item f- for any gold producers. Their energy costs, if that if that's manageable, seventy five dollars a barrel. Like your margins have obviously improved right there. Uh, you're 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 practicing good uh, patience with the capital you do have. Are you? It's cheap to add ounces now because valuations are so cheap, so they could go out there and make offers to buy producing assets. And you're starting to see a little bit of M&A right now because of that. And so there's a great opportunity not only for the gold producers to add margin to their production, but for investors to sit here and like literally take some very simple metrics and understand that this is looking to be a very profitable year for the miners. I, you know, I think we've thought about this a lot and and I don't think that there is a level that gold and silver are going to get to that's going to start this. And the reason I don't think that is because you have a market and I was trying to explain this to some of our clients the other day. They're like, Zach, why are some of these stocks so cheap? Why are people, and I go, listen, cash flow doesn't matter when you think that when your idea of investing is a triple in eight months, buying a tech company, right? Completely devoid. You you, you run it up from 15 times revenue to 40 times revenue. As long as investors think that that's game is in play, you have no need for real economic entities producing cash flow. Right. Just because it's all about capital appreciation. That's all anybody cares about. So I actually think you need to get this bubble to burst and people to actually care. It sounds weird, right? You say it out loud and you're like, what? You actually you have to remind investors somehow that cash flows are the basis for every investment. And I think when that sobriety comes back, that's when people are going to look over at the miners and go, wait a second. You, we can buy we can buy a dollar with 20 cents right here right like well, mm-hmm. what's what you know what why why are we why are we looking past that so where do you see the I, I would assume and i don't that's why i've got you on i would assume you're seeing the most ridiculous discounts in the in the early stage projects or the smaller companies yeah. uh as it usually is and i would say as you go further up the scale how 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 cheap are we talking here in terms of um, on the lower end of the of the capital structure with the, you know the smaller companies and the exploration opportunities? What, what, how cheap are we talking? What, what are we looking at? I mean, it, you don't have to look very hard to find something sub ten million dollar market cap with with sitting and sitting on a legitimate resource. Uh, either sitting on a legitimate resource or having joint venture partners by the likes of Nevada gold mines and Barrick drilling projects of theirs and earning agreements. And that, and still trading at sub 10 million, 10 million bucks. Yeah. I mean, I, I bought shares in a company that I've been following for the last two years. Uh, and it's just been painful. I mean, it's it, but I looked at this chart and I'm down, I don't know, 40, 50% on these investments, but the company continues to like do as much good work as they can. They've done these, uh, these ventures with Nevada gold mines and they continue to get sold off right now. And the, about the end of tax loss season. And I'm looking at this saying it's about a eight and a half, $9 million market cap. And I know they're doing good work and they mean well. And, I think that they're really onto something special. And they got like, JVs yeah. with Barrick in place. Yeah. Whew. That, that used to, I mean, I, in my world, a micro, if you had a micro cap miner, get a JV with one of the majors, you're looking at an instant triple or quadrupling of the stock instantly. 
Right. So, and we've had this discussion before, like there was a time where let's say, you know, Nevada gold mines comes in for a $25 million earn in agreement for expiration over three years that like you would get valued on that $25 million. Right. right now, the market doesn't give two whips about it. They do not care at all. And it doesn't matter where it's at. Like there's another company up in Alaska that's got a JV uh, with a partnership with, um, a Japanese company because they're looking to feed their uh, feed their smelters in Japan, and they've I think it's like a uh, twenty million dollar expiration f- that's being funded by the Japanese, and the company is just not getting valued for any of it. I mean, th- these stories are across the board rampant right now, so it's almost. Now I'm not saying you you just throw a dart at the board and pick right. whatever it lands, um, but you know do you, does. Do these management teams have a track record of having good relationships with the majors, doing deal after deal, and also being able to go out and do their own exploration as best as they can without the help of a major? Like, I think that's really important as well because, you know, you got to have something in your asset basket that's yours. You're not just giving away half of everything once you generate it, right? So. Like that's important, but you know, on the early expiration side, I mean, it is, it's really, really beat up. And so, if you're starting, if you're starting to see investment dollars coming into not only the metal but also the major gold producers and maybe even the royalty or streaming companies, that will have a trickle down effect because once the once those start moving, then you'll see people maybe moving into the the developers. And then those will start seeing capital flows. And once the developers start going, then you'll start seeing these really early stage exploration equities start getting some attention as well. This is an incredibly, talk about cyclical, right? This is an incredibly cyclical industry. And what we're describing right now is not um, speculation. I mean, we're speculating on what we think is going to happen. But this is how every great bull market in this sector has ever started. And it usually doesn't start until everybody is convinced that's the last place on earth, the earth they'd put their money. And right. Like we were saying, (laughs) right. Uh, And that's when the opportunities come and um, you know, discussing that state of how bad I didn't realize it was as bad as what you were saying. Like I said, in my time in the industry, you did a JV with one of the majors and boom. I mean, you it, like you said, the value of that, which it should, right, would would work its way into your market cap or, or you know, your enterprise value. And you would see, you know, which it should. And you're telling me sure. that it's not even the, the, the value of that JV is not even being factored into things. Well, and, and there's a, maybe a couple of reasons for that. And the the sector itself needs to come to grips with a couple things. First, that somewhere on the Canadian exchanges where most of these companies are listed in trade need to understand that there's too many companies. A lot of these companies do not need to exist. In fact, a lot of these companies are literally just raising capital just to keep their listing open and trading and to you know keep their condo in Vancouver. <laughs> that's 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 a real story. I mean, that's absolutely honest. So somebody has got to understand that just because you go cl- state claims in a bunch of moose pasture in Canada or a desert in Nevada or wherever shouldn't give you the the go ahead to just go s- directly to the exchange and start trading. Right. Right. So there's too many companies. Yeah. And so it's like, how do you decipher like one company from the other? And so we've talked a lot in the last couple of years about the need for merging and consolidating projects, right? There's too many of these 10 to $50 million market cap companies. There's too many, you know, staking claims in the shadows of a head frame, thinking that they can pull in some more capital mm-hmm. and drills. I, there's just, there's just, there's too many companies in this sector. And now if you can desaturate that and 
Where are they getting? If, cap- if, where are they getting capital from? I mean, I, I this is the one part of this story that I wasn't expecting. Well, why I would think that a lot of that would have been starved out by now. I don't know, rich uncles, you know, machines, yeah. the Canadian machine of cheap paper up. I mean, buddy, I mean, I'm not even. I can't even tell you how many times I see new IPO. You go through the proxy, and all of a sudden you see the founders got twenty million shares at. A tenth of a penny. The whole thing. Okay, so consolidation in the sector. What's happening, and is that problem starting to clean itself up? Well, I mean, there's things happening. I mean, there are like mergers of equals for exploration projects, development projects that you know maybe have a adjoining claims side by side that have started to come together. Uh, you know, one key story like Caliber Mining is this mid tier producer. I own shares in, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, they bought, they're focused in Nicaragua, but then they bought a Nevada mining producer. And then a couple of weeks ago announced that they were buying a late stage developer uh, uh, up in Canada, uh, Marathon Gold. So, I mean, there, there's these stories trickling in um, that, that it is, it is happening. And I think a lot of management teams that I have talked to and highly respect understand like, Listen, if that's what the market's telling you needs to happen, then you need to listen to the market or else the market's not going to reward you. Yeah. Um, and so it, now, listen, I can maybe – there's maybe half a dozen stories of that. So not not oh, nearly no. enough. Not yeah. enough. Yeah. But people are seeing the light and you know, I think a lot of the good management teams are starting to sway that way. Okay. While we still have you here, <clears throat> we've, I think we've done a good job of laying out you know, kind of where the industry is and where, where, where we both see potential opportunity. Let's kind of talk about a couple of your favorite stories right now. What, what, what are some things that are some projects that are very intriguing to you and that are, are you know, they, if we were going to sit there and, and pull out a couple, that what, are the, what are the most exciting developments? What are some of the most exciting projects you're seeing? <sighs> um, there is... There was a new discovery made in Idaho a few weeks ago by a company called Hercules Silver. Really? Um, and yeah, it's the ticker symbol is B-I-G on the Venture Exchange. So you'll, big. And you'll watch this thing. I mean, this thing ran from 24 cents to over a buck 50. It's, it's come down. So, But they made a discovery. I mean, this is the power of good discoveries, right? Like... Now it was Hercules Silver because they had this this project in Idaho. The upper portion of the project had this really good silver overlay, and that's originally what they were look, going after. They found these. Uh, they found traces of what would be a porphyry system, which is typically, you know, uh, copper, gold, silver, lead. Uh, you know, kind of big type projects. A lot of these big projects that you see that produce a ton of copper, those are porphyry type deposits. They can come in clusters or super, super big deposits. And that's typically where a lot of the copper comes from. So they drilled underneath the silver layer, made a big discovery into this new discovered porphyry system. Stock goes up sixfold, you know, within days. Uh, and we're currently awaiting to hear those follow-up drill results from Hercules silver. Um, so there's the a lot. What, what was the announcement? What, what exactly were they announcing? Uh, I'd have to go back and see what it was. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it was something of, of merit. I mean, it had to be. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was a discovery of, let's see, October 10th, 185 meters of 0.84% copper, 111 parts per million molybdenum and 2.6 grams per ton silver. There was 45 meters in there of almost 2% copper. So that's, that's good grade. Yeah. That's good yeah. grade. Yeah. And so we're waiting, you know, a lot of the follow-up stuff and then Barrett comes in for basically $25 million a couple of weeks later. That fast. That fast, which is interesting because Barrett usually doesn't come in that early of an exploration no, they let they let they let some other people burn through some dough first and really let yep. it develop before they want to pick it off. Yeah, yeah. So it uh, leads me to believe, and they don't usually. I mean, two couple weeks is light speed for a major. 
they yes. must have their eyes on that project. For whatever reason. I think they know something. I think there's something that they know that what maybe us plebs don't. <laughs> so yeah, it might. That you know what's interesting. What is that one called? I'm right at that. Yeah, yeah. What is that called again? Uh, Hercules Silver. Okay. Okay. So that's 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 a that's a new story to follow. Um, I don't own shares in that. Uh, there's a there's a deal outside of Hercules Silver I'm involved in that I'll be you know when that thing starts when there's more to share I will happy to share that with you Zach. Um, yeah. But that's that's an interesting story out of Idaho. Does that does that um, do, do, does that porphyry because it's, it's typical and I'm again I've been out of the game for a little while so that's not my terminology. Uh, typically, porphyries are gonna if you have a silver prod if you have a silver property or or a silver uh, resource or you know whatever. Uh, usually, you're gonna have some some gold mixed in there too, right? Um, yeah, there, there wasn't much gold. Not much gold. Okay. Not much gold in that. Historically, so. it, when you see um, a silver project and there is gold and and you know significant gold, meaning you know it's obviously still majority silver. Is there any relationship to if gold is present, it's a richer deposit? Is there any kind of relationship there, or is it just completely different every project you look at? Typically, silver is the big byproduct of a gold deposit. Okay, you okay. you you typically don't find just gold. Like there's. Right. It's mixed in with something else. Like it depends on the, uh, it depends on what type of deposit you're going after. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not a geologist, but I know a little bit to be dangerous. But you just know that not every deposit is the same as the next deposit. The the, the earth moved in very strange ways, and lava found its way, and and then moisture and water found hot, heat, hot water found its way in other different ways. So like, you know, leave it to the geologist or, or go read some read some books, but not every deposit is identical to the next. So just kind of remember that one. Uh, That's a really interesting story. Um, Another, actually it just hit the tape yesterday on Thursday, the 14th. There's a copper project in Arizona called the cactus mine, historic uh, Brownfields project, a company called Arizona Sonoran has uh, been developing this. What's interesting about this deposit, it's on private land. Uh, They have access to water. It is supported by the local community. So it's got everything that you'd want from a jurisdiction, specifically in Arizona, to like move things forward. Ivanhoe Electric and Robert Friedland is exploring the exact same deposit down dip right next to them. And what happened yesterday was Arizona Sonoran announced that Rio Tinto's Newton technology, which is this way to potentially leach sulfide material, which before would have to be crushed, refined, and, you know, to not go into a whole metallurgical uh, lesson, higher costs, a lot bigger of a process. What this Newton technology from Rio Tinto was looking at is if it can appropriately leach that sulfide material, which is underneath the oxide material and enriched material. Oxide material, you can typically leach. Enriched is a little bit harder. And then the sulfide stuff, historically, no leaching. You got to grind that thing and and process it through all the fuzz. Newton is doing these phases with about six different companies throughout the world to see if they can leach that sulfide material. Arizona Sonoran announced earlier this week that they had positive recoveries, like up to 85% recoveries. How? Yeah. Well, from from this Newton technology. Oh. And then the next day, the very next day, so that those MET results were announced on Wednesday. The very next day on Thursday, it was announced Arizona comes out. Rio Tinto's Newton's taking a 33% non-dilutive investment into the project like it, there's a lot of like technicals with this deal but 33 million dollars in total to come in and help this project move forward wow. with its technology is that so what's it so what's interesting let me say what's interesting about this not only the merits of the cactus mine but you they have the better access to underground to that deposit because it's closer to surface and you have Ivanhoe Electric exploring much deeper the same deposit because that's where it kind of tends to flow. That that mineralization goes deeper 
into Ivanhoe Electrics. So not only do you have Rio Tinto in the Newton technology doing a big investment into Arizona Sonoran and the Cactus Mine, which has the better infrastructure for underground mining, but you also have another play of one of the biggest mining moguls in the world and their U.S. entity, Ivanhoe Electric, exploring the exact same deposit at depth. I really do think you have, we mentioned mergers and acquisitions earlier, like Arizona will not want two companies mining the same deposit. Yeah, It will have to be one company. Yeah. That's the way I'm looking at it. Yeah, and I, I, it'd be interesting to dig into that because Friedland is not usually a guy that gets turned away. Um, no, no. He was actually, he was actually, yeah, he was. I, like I told you, he was, he was friends with my grandfather. Uh, my grandfather was involved in several of his, of his early deals, and uh, no, he's a, uh, he's a hog pulling on a root. That guy, he, he typically gets what he wants. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, other than that, I mean, listen, like there's some really great exploration. The Vicuña district in Argentina and Chilean border, which is like the Lundings have a big stronghold on that. It will be a world class tier one deposit that I think in our lifetime we will eventually see starting to be mined, but it will probably not be done for like in your grandchildren's lifetime. Why? Because it's huge. It's absolutely massive, this whole district. You're talking kilometers on kilometers on like pot- potential super pit type classifications. And all clustered together. It's just like a giant. Yeah. Just a giant. Yeah. When, when was that? When was that discovered? Well, so the Lundines did it pretty, they did a pretty interesting deal. It was all under one package and I can't remember the time frame. but then they broke it up into three, into three vehicles. You had Jose Maria, Philo Mining, and then also NGEX Minerals. So that's where they broke it in. And all, and then Jose Maria ended up getting bought by Lundine Mining. Philo Mining is still its own. Entity and they're doing incredible drilling, like down to almost two thousand meters of depth, and still ending in mineralization. Jeez! And then NGEX is on to some very interesting, um, you know, high. They, they've put out a couple of drillers also with high grade copper projects on the Chilean side. Um, you know, I think you can you can let your creative minds, if you're really thinking about as a mine engineer, what a mine plan would look like with all three projects. Oh, and they have the Casarones mine. They've got a 51 interest in the Casarones mine uh, on the Chilean side as well. So that that is a, a that will be one of the largest producing districts for generations, I think. Wow. So that's interesting to watch. There's some really interesting exploration in Kazakhstan happening right now because it's been so void of exploration. And you're talking like uranium, not just uranium. No, um, you're talking huge, like porphyry type cluster situations. Right. And so a lot of the majors are already there. What is the the geopolitical environment in Kazakhstan? It's a great question. I mean, on the uranium side, that's one. On the uranium side, that's one thing. But listen, uh, they have potential to supply uh, not only Europe but Asia and Eastern Asia with a lot of metal. Yeah, potentially. Um, I mean, we could go down a whole another hour about deglobalization, what it means for the metal supply chain. But you know what? It's it's going to be wild. Yeah, we might need to. We might. I'm going to take you up on that next year. We're going to have to do that because you just said that, and I went. I hadn't even thought about that angle, right? what that's going to do to things. And I would think the one avenue I have thought about it, because just for the listeners knowing, uh, if you want to get into this sector, there's things that you have to look at and geopolitical situations is right at the top of the list, right? Yep. Meaning it, 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 one of the worst things in the world, you get a project, everything's going great. Everybody's high five and government seizes it. Right. And, and it's happened so many times. Right. Like you have to know the geopolitical landscape. Um, I wonder I wonder I would think that that unraveling of deglobalization is going to bring a lot of opportunity. But I also would think it makes that geopolitical part of it even more important. Would I be would I be right in that? Oh, it certainly does. I mean, as supply chains continue to reshore. Listen, I mean, that's inflationary, right? 
Yeah. Uh, so uh, the solution for low metal prices is low metal prices. And I think you're going to see higher metal prices as this story of reshoring continues to unfold. Uh, I think you're going to start seeing a lot more partnerships between East and West and countries that can supply those metals. You're already seeing it in Africa. It is a hotbed of activity for exploration and who can supply China and who can supply Europe and the West. Uh, that's, you know, that's been a, just an ongoing saga. The interest to add a little bit more fuel to this fire. The interesting thing to me about this setup for a bull run is it's at least to my knowledge, not in recent history. Anyway, you haven't had all these things come together at the same time that currencies around the world are really starting to shake. Right. I've got, mm-hmm. I've got, I've got friends of mine that are over in uh, Kenya and they were just telling me in the last 12 months, the Kenyan currency is depreciated 50% against the dollar. You're, you're, you're right. The, the, all of this central bank driven nonsense is really starting to catch up and you're starting to see those tremors of currencies. And I am fascinated to watch the impact that's going to have on that sector and the demand it's going to create for gold. Because um, I, for a lot of Bitcoin maximalists out there, I think you're going to be disappointed in the lack of central bankers stepping in and purchasing Bitcoin, right? <laughs> they, 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 they want the original old school uh, Neanderthal gold um, right. and silver. And uh, yeah, that's going, to be a, that's going to be a fascinating one. So in closing here, we've kept you long enough, and I know you've got to get rolling. Um, what, what are some last thoughts and, and, and what, what is kind of, you know, to tie this up, leave us with a thought of where you think we're at, where you think that level of opportunity is and, and uh, just kind of sum it up for us, if you will, about, you know, where we're at in this cycle and what you think we're looking at coming in the, in the in next yeah. three to five years. On precious metals, I've never seen a better setup in my entire career. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally with, uh, with what's happening with sovereign debt uh, in the macro side, Listen, we we all know where this is going, and gold is set to respond appropriately. Yeah. And as those margins for the miners improve, you will start seeing more appetite for more risky equities like those smaller micro-cap juniors, explorers that I was talking about. Uh, I honestly have never seen as good of a setup because we are so beaten up. So if you're a contrarian and you want to find really – Ugly stocks look no further than the junior mining sector because that's exactly where they're at. That's on the precious metal side. On the base metal side, like copper, I have a little bit more concern. I I want to know where how copper responds if we are going to hit a recession. Manufacturing is already in recession. Obviously, that they depend on copper and copper depends on manufacturing. If the recession is deep, I would expect base metals to take a hit. Once stimulus starts to come back into the system to fight recession, you're going to start seeing those base metals start surging back higher. And I would be watching that space. I think once the recession is announced and you know we're in one, uh, I'd start turning your gander to the base metal complex and explorers there. You know, the other interesting thing about this setup too, and I know this is going to be news to you, and we'll have to see. I'm just looking, I'm looking out at the horizon and going, you know what I think that we're going to see? And it just kind of seems, I'll be shocked if we don't see it. You can make an argument. I'm sure there are people who make the argument that it's already there. But I think that you're going to see real negative yields for an extended period of time. And you mm-hmm. and I both know, you want to talk about bonanza time for gold? Real negative yep. yields. That, that's it, it, that is when it's at its best. And I'm looking out at the world today. You look at the currency situations we're talking about. I will be absolutely blown away if we do not have, if real negative yields don't become a feature around the world. <laughs> right. I just, now maybe <laughs> they've already tried. They've tried yeah, to make it a feature. <laughs> yeah. Well, and maybe, and maybe they won't, maybe they will understate inflation. So you won't have their definition of real negative yields. But you're going to see them, right? They're going to be there. And when you look at all of these high-priced equities that are leading the charge in in in, in this bull, I don't think it's a bull. I, I still think that, in my opinion, I think that we'll look back at this market move now, and it will, you know, it may go to new all-time highs, but I think it'll be seen, in my opinion, as, as kind of the biggest bull bear market rally of all time. I, I don't, I don't think it holds up. But at some point, 
right? The fundamental side of it comes into play in cash flow because if you don't know, in a real negative yield environment, cash flow is very important, right? That, that will get minds back on cash flow because that's how you that's how you defend yourself essentially against real negative yields and and falling productivity and or not productivity, but falling economies, rising inflation, all that kind of stuff. I, I agree with you, man. From the macro side and the micro side, the setup is fantastic. The other thing that's interesting too is that the ownership of gold and gold equities in retail portfolios and even institutional portfolios is a record. Oh, God, it's so bad. It's so low. It's so it's low. so and, low. And so you, low. It, when you're talking about real negative yields, the you, you, and you're talking about these, these, these movements, and I don't think people understand – there's going to be a place. There is absolutely a place in every portfolio. If we're going, if, if you and I are right, and this is where we're going, it very much, it's hard to, hard to, hard to deny it. Uh, there's a place in every portfolio to, to hedge the tail at least. Right. And if you start yeah. seeing two to three, even just two to 3% allocations in most <laughs> portfolios swinging that way, that, I mean, you talk of that, that, that industry would go ballistic. Oh, but think about it. Think about this second. And then I'll say this and then I really, I do have to go, but so we're talking two major miners on the S and P 500, Newmont and Freeport. They make up like 0.02% of the S and P 500. So a double is less than 0.5%. Yeah. That's yeah. all you need. That that's all this sector needs. Warren Buffett or any any sort of like smart investor could come in here and buy a majority of the mining sector, like at the snap of their fingers. That's how yeah. cheap things have gotten. Yeah, no, it's crazy. It's exciting times, man. Now we need to see it play out. But like I said, I've been in, I've been watching and been involved in this industry for a long time, and it just has all the earmarks. I just really yeah. feel like you don't want to say it. Reminds me of Gladiator, right? It's so delicate. You don't even want to whisper it. Right, but, right, right. But, man, I, I think we're there. I think we're there. So yeah. thanks for coming on, man. Great to finally connect. Like I said, we've been following each other for a while. And um, I, I do want to get that interview on the books, talk about the deglobalization, the impact that's mm-hmm. going to have. And I am under the belief that there's going to be plenty more reasons to talk in 2024. So I think so. You are our resident mining expert, so we're we're uh, <laughs> this is gonna be this is gonna be the first of many, I hope, if you're willing to come uh, on again. Absolutely, man. We'd love to. Thank you so much. And then where can the folks follow you? Give us your Twitter handle. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh I'm at Trev A. Hall. That's the Twitter handle. You can also follow us on clearcommodity.net. That's where you'll find Mining Stock Daily podcast. We also put out No Oil and Gas, Uranium, and a battery metals podcast as well on the network. So yeah. All right, pal. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. We're going to want to keep our eyes on the sector. And I think, like I said, I think it's going to be a featured thing that we're going to be talking a lot more about in 2024. Thanks for joining us today, Trevor. Thanks again for sharing your time with us. And uh, we'll have to do it again. You guys have a wonderful weekend. We got another great interview. My Actually, my old buddy, Dimitri's coming on to do our end of year special uh, next year. Or, or, or next go. week. Awesome. Yeah, we're going to do an That's end awesome. of year summary. So, We'll see you guys then. Have a wonderful weekend. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.